0: Hello, Normie. and broadcasting like from the geek. beautiful central coast of California, yeah, it's yes, the Dr. Death Danger Radio Show! Wait, new music video? Oh, it did? Yes. as
1: look? Well. It
0: good. Like, the fucking his homies did a good job. But the song. It's the last song he dropped, so... Oh, okay. Just the video is good. I was hoping there be
1: more music. Oh, I don't know, let's
0: forget I, that. I, mean, I don't know cool. Hello, listeners, welcome back to the Doctor That Danger Radio show with your boys,
1: James and Edward. I'm um, Edward. What's up everybody?
0: Yeah, you know, be showing another Saturday.
1: Yeah. For us yeah. at the
0: time of this recording, Yes. We're kind of back on schedule, which yeah. is nice. crazy.
1: Oh, no. What's good with you? Well, Any notes to say? I was thinking to myself something like the other day um, because I was thinking, you know, man, I, you know, it's a shame we lost that last episode uh, when we originally talked about the last Dark Side of the Ring of football because I thought that was one of our, um, you know, better episodes. And then, you know, the lightning round one didn't come out bad, but I just thought, oh, man, it feels like one of the weaker ones. But then I thought about something. I was curious on your opinion. What do you think like our quote-unquote best, like, episode is. I honestly think, <clears throat> personal opinion, I think our best, like, stuff is actually the four decline movies. Well, three, and then we sold our souls. I don't know. I mean, you know, it's about music, which we like. Um, It was only, we only had to focus on that one thing. It wasn't just, it wasn't an album and then two or three other things. I I, I really like those. Plus, there's some really funny moments, you know, the chinless pastor just uh, roasting those stupid Heshers from the second one, you know?
0: Seriously, I can't say a specific episode for me is my favorite, but I could for sure tell you like specific moments that are my favorite. Yeah. Like fucking last thing for sure was Daisy and her fucking shitty ass fucking like chocolate chip pancakes
1: and <laughs> Daisy alone. Oh my god, you destroyed her. Like
0: it's literally like moments like that that friggin like I like remember. Or fucking us talking about the good friend Seb and <laughs> him having a friggin uh um, tr- like a thick trollo boy f- oh, boyfriend, In the dystopia t-shirt. Yes. Oh my god. And then just like, like I kiss my homies. Yeah, I know. A fool, I kiss my fucking homies. What you gonna fuck with me, fool? Yeah, no. I think my. just is is literally like moments? What those those my, are my thing.
1: I still fondly have affinity for earlier in the show when we, when I was able to go on like a ten minute, like rant, not rant, but just exposition on my feelings on grunge, and then I think the episode after. Or before that I, I still think probably my favorite moment of this show Is when During Rock of Love 1 When they brought in the super fans Oh fuck super fans <laughs> That was one? like 12 minutes of pure insanity Cause it's like Oh this super fan of like 7 years Of 5 years And the last one was like of uh, 2 years I was about to
0: say hasn't Poison been a band from the 80s Why are there super <laughs> fans like
1: Not a decade old <laughs> Oh man, I it just it, well a decade
0: it, in fandom, like
1: they're yeah. all like they're all, I just, all like women that were like passed. Yeah, I just don't know 20s. why. I just like just, we went, I just, we went, into, I went into hysterics. You went into hysterics. It was a good time. Cause
0: it was fucking dumb in concept. It's like, dude, poison fucking oh, blows. And the part
1: that killed me was when they were walking down the stairs and they had a wind machine blowing their hair back.
0: Oh yeah. And then all the, like the contestant ladies felt super duper threatened because like, Oh damn, these chicks are hot. And it's like, who fucking cares?
1: Oh, it, who was the one chick? Her name was Kai. Her name was just the letter K and then the letter Y.
0: Yeah. What the <laughs> fuck was that? We need to get back to Brett Michaels. That's Eventually. actually a thing we need to figure out. I've kind of Next been... episode, because we're finally done with Dark Side of the Ring, and Dark Side of Football. I don't know if we wanna continue well, I guess we should continue on and be completionists. But what do we go from here? Because we are done with Dark Side of the Ring.
1: The thing we were most—oh wait, so is this the—is was Dynamite Kid the mid-season break? Yes. Okay. What about Dark Side of Football? Was the Browns the break? No, There's another episode. I thought so. I
0: think the next episode is the frigging Cowboys like fans versus the Eagles fans. What?
1: Um, yeah. Is that a? Is that a documented thing of football? I guess.
0: Like they talk about fans being rabid in this fucking
1: show. Hey, hey, hey! Which team's more white trash: the Eagle, the Philadelphia fans, or the Texas fans?
0: Whoa! What? Here's the thing about the Cowboys fans: like a freaking like next big town over from a Santa Maria. It's like literally the football teams there are either the Raiders or the
1: Cowboys. So. It sounds like my dad and uncle, and I say that because my dad's brother was a and huge you, Cowboys fan. So that makes me question: if Cowboys is white trash or Hispanic as fuck? So, well, when it comes to te- when it comes to t- when it comes to Texas and Southern culture, uh, Mexicans are pretty ingrained in that. It depends how south you go. Yeah, Texas, so. Texas, and Mexico get along with each other. Although, well, I, they're right next to each other. Well, they're right next yeah. to each other, but I mean, like their cultures are blended. You know, it's not just the Alamo; it's the food. It's uh, the Tex-Mex. Yeah.
0: Like literally, I f- see more uh, like the more cow. I see more Mexican cowboys than uh, white cowboys. Yeah, so at least for me, who locally was in it? the area,
1: I, I think Dad, when I was like a kid, told me a long time ago about Mexican cowboys, and I didn't like really understand the concept because he told me this when so I'm like eight, and I'm like, but how can Mexicans be cowboys? How can and then Mexicans be cowboys, and then we went. Too, because you've gone to the school in the same area as me since middle school. We've got we we live in an area we live in an agricultural area with uh, um, a decent amount of uh, agricultural Mexican kids. That yes. uh, m- uh, no, just
0: agricultural people in general. In general, like, and then a good, a good half of the Mexican the kids dressed t- like,
1: like uh, cowboys. Yeah, no. Here's the thing: in the
0: fucking town we're in right now, yeah. the friggin' has like a good sized college. It's literally that college specializes in agricultural technology. Yes. And that's why geeks like from all over the shit. fucking United States go there to like for agricultural science. Like I'm sure there's other shit at the school, but yeah. For sure its specialty is agricultural science. So yeah, that is freaking we do live in an agricultural specific area, but California is a very agricultural state. Yeah. Believe it or not. We've it's got not more than just,
1: avocados.
0: Yes. Freaking hell of more. Fuck there's like so much shit. Yeah, no. California is a huge agricultural state and our produce is pretty, pretty primo.
1: Because that's the meme, I guess. I have several friends that live out of state, as you know. Good friend, good friend, John lives in uh, Wisconsin. Good, uh, friend, yeah. good friend, Moira lives in Washington. And just that's the meme is that. It's you guys like, it's have like,
0: water bottles and avocado. No, 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 no. It's not that
1: it's it's uh no for California. It's uh you've got avocados, beaches, and you're always on fire. That's what we're known for. No, we're about to be on fire. It's getting hot now. And I guess the music industry, and I guess most of the music industry being over here too, and Hollywood. I guess. But it's mostly the avocados and being on fire. Yeah, let's
0: just say avocados and being on fire because, yeah, there's been fires. All right, then. (laughs) <laughs> what
1: are we going to do next, though? Uh, we have an out... Al- oh, you're talking about plants. Well, um, I don't know. Do you want to do another show? Do you want to tr- keep trying to find movies to do? Well, just saying, do we want to be completionists
0: on Dark Side of Football? Do you feel motivated on that? Or do you just want to feel like... I mean, like, this, Did this, you th- feel more... Th- just, you know
1: what? These Dark Side of the Football episodes have been pretty entertaining. We could do the next one. So, I, I'd be and down. vibe And vibe with it. If yeah. it's just
0: like, bro, let's do something else, then we will. Because... We can't just stop denying it. We got to get back to fucking Brett Michaels. Yeah,
1: I know. We got to get them ratios back. But let's start things off. What do we listen to this week for this episode? Well, I listened
0: you. to... You. Uh, I did not because I forgot till last night where I was like, oh, fuck, I was supposed to listen to a fucking Pearl Jam album.
1: Shit. We listened to Pearl Jam's debut I record. I listened to half of it. Now... What can I say about Pearl Jam that hasn't said before? Well, I can sum it up in a couple phrases. One, most most grunge diehards hate them. Two, Kurt Cobain called them sellouts. <laughs> he he literally said, "Cause cause I love Kurt Cobain, but if you like look at stuff he says, he he you, you could kind of." categorize him as something of like a gatekeeper of his community just in some of his opinions and yeah he thought they were sellouts um he he said that uh he felt that 10 their debut album when it came out he didn't feel it was a true contemporary with like nirvana and alice and chain stuff um but casual audience and critics seem to really like him for the most part um but Do they the, now? They're pretty popular with normal people, but it's hard to say. They released three quote unquote banger albums after another. This, then Versus, and Vitology, which have their biggest songs on there. So they went to the fucking Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 2017. I know to some people that means nothing. Because
0: the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame is pretty trash for the most but part. But they're
1: still in there.
0: Yes. Actually,
1: didn't they go in there before Nirvana? The fuck do I don't pay attention to the Rock and Roll Hall
0: of Fame? <laughs> well, still, yes, they, um, yeah, like Pearl If Jam. they possibly could have sold more by Nirvana by still being in an active band and releasing stuff, maybe. Like, friggin', I don't know if they have a singular album that has sold more than, like, Nirvana's
1: most highest-selling okay, album. Okay, no, never but mind. Nirvana went, in three block- year- Nirvana went in, th- in three years before that.
0: Okay, yeah, all right. Thank you for correcting the nonsense. But then...
1: <laughs> yeah. All right, let's talk so yeah, about it was 10 their first album. It's their best selling and it's their most legendary. So I'm just getting a timestamp. So tell me about the first song. First song is called once. Uh, it starts off with this slow ambient kind of thing. And then um, and then eventually the music comes in. And I was like, oh, shit. Here he comes. Eddie Vedder, King of Jarl style. Now, listen, as a fair man, the song is Fine. It's catchy. It's not grunge. But, um, honestly, something interesting I've noticed about, I noticed listening to this album, what it really sounded like to me listening to early Pearl Jam here, their sound kind of reminds me a lot of this band called, I think it's pronounced live or live. They, they, they put out that, that big single called lightning crashes. If you listen to their first two albums, mental jewelry and living, I think it's the other ones called living copper or whatever. their, Their sound is similar like this. They have this like weird, um, half, you know, like um kind of jammy rocky feel to them there's a tiny bit of funk too uh but so, yeah but yeah cool uh so yeah um so yeah what is just your the overall song, the song's fine
0: you know i said the first song that i because i actually listened to it i said like you know it's a fun opener there is a, I will admit, the fucking guitar player of this band can actually play his instrument. So yeah, that's one I'm not going to discredit, I'm not going to discredit the guitar player. Yes. That for sure I can say is uh, legit. And I say it's a fun opener because listen to fucking Ice Earth, It's like, you know what? I actually <laughs> like this song. You know what? I would rather listen to this. It feels fresh and exciting. <laughs> But then, fucking wow. next was even flow and Guitar
1: I, Hero Three, y'all. Dude, I can't
0: say I don't know what, but I just said fuck flow The song is the worst. I can't <laughs> say if the song is good or not. Like, I want to say it's like, like technically it's a good song,
1: but I'm like. It's so fucking annoying. Freezer, hammer, 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 hammer. on the concrete. So that's why
0: I was like, dude, is this even fucking good? Because, dude, <laughs> this fucking song, if you ask me, kind of fucking sucks. Like, this is one
1: of the big songs of the 90s. Um, well, it's
0: so bad. Like, well, maybe it's not bad, but it's
1: just so annoying.
0: It's, it's just catchy.
1: Like, is it, it, it's just so repetitively <laughs> in your face this hand this song almost because there's three big singles off this song well there's four actually but the ones that matter are this one alive and jeremy so like oh no no uh, sorry and black black's the fourth one so all four all four of them are popular this one was i believe the most popular so this is the song that got people's attention about this band so
0: i don't it's not even like
1: fuck I can't say if it, what See, do you, I, I do you think a, it's good? Do you think the song is good? I well the my thing my problem with this one is the same with Black I've just heard it too many times on the radio since I was a kid. See, that's the thing. It's like it could be like, but sometimes like a song you've heard over, over, again mm-hmm. on the radio. Ooh, ooh, ooh. I don't well, because my feeling on the sound is weird. Because like, dude, like, I can listen to an annoying Metallica kid.
0: song on repeat, and <laughs> like I don't think that's bad. But this is just annoying. Well, you gotta figure what's Whereas, the, like, dude. What's shut the most, this fucking off. What's the Get most, most this common in my fucking face? Well, you gotta
1: figure what's the most common Metallica song you're gonna hear on the radio? Uh, Enter Sandman, probably. Yeah, if you heard
0: Enter Sandman or like Fuel on repeat? I you would fuel, rather give give file, listen to those
1: two than even flow I'll say that
0: I'm just saying it's like you would know, say like a better yeah like a better band or you can even say fucking Nirvana
1: what's a song that you hear and re-
0: Fuck, dude, oh I, Smells
1: Like Teen Spirit is the most common one then after that it's probably either about a girl or come as you are or something or, her, or friggin Heart Shaped Box Heart Shaped Box yeah yeah sorry it Smells so, Like Teen Spirit then Heart Shaped yeah, Box yeah just think it's like I can listen to like Smells Like Teen Spirit or Alice in Chains uh, Man in the Box if we're talking similar... I can handle, time. like, Man in the
0: Box more than fucking flow Even Flow Even okay. Flo is like... I can't handle the song <laughs> on repeat. Like, maybe it's the first time you're listening to it. It's, like, good. But it's like... It gets played so fucking <laughs> much. much. This sh- song just needs to stop. Go I, uh, the fuck away. I completely
1: forgot about this. I guess I blocked out the memories. But when I was a kid and really getting into music... I grunge was one of the first things I went to besides you know heavy metal when you burned me metal because 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 in high school he James had burned me and Justice for All black album and then Painkiller and those uh you know Check so I listen this metal shit so bro. I, so I listened to that on on repeat but I eventually found grunge because Dad had played Nirvana and Dad liked Soundgarden Pearl Jam and Alice in Chains so I eventually went through all of them I actually remember as a boy listening to decently often I used to actually kind of like this album uh quite a lot I don't know when it was that I just started all the random Pearl Jam hate I just just one day I woke up I don't know what it was I woke up on the wrong side of the bed and I woke up and I was just like man fuck this Pearl Jam band all right so I've ranted on how much I don't like even I think the song's okay okay like I said I've just heard it too much
0: then I wrote the next like the freaking like song live rock
1: band two y'all this dude, is a rock band. Too. And
0: I just like wrote that, not going to lie. The song is boring. Like the guitar solo as it's fading out was pretty cool. But I'm like, yeah, the
1: big rock ending at the end.
0: Yeah. But I'm like, dude, this song is hella boring.
1: Uh, and you know, it had memorable riffs. Uh, in, Did you know- it? I don't remember shit. I don't know. I, I I always still kind of like this song uh, just because, and, and I like the guitar work. That was what I was going to say is that I, I always forget this, but Pearl Jam's got, because they have a lead in rhythm guy, they have good guitarists.
0: No, I literally said first thing, it's like, Pearl Jam has a really good
1: guitar player, and Eddie and Vedder is a shit. musician, so he knows how to like write songs. I don't. I think the song's fine. I didn't. I didn't hate it. The, the fourth song. Oh, sorry. I was. Well, oh, yeah. No. Yeah, you no. no you, you. I don't know if you had no, more no, thoughts no, on Alive.
0: No, no. no. uh, oh no, I already said it. it's like the song okay. was boring, but the guitar solo was good. But that was like two minutes of like.
1: It was like a two minute guitar solo. I'm like, fuck, dude. Can I really handle
0: two minutes of shredding? <laughs> like, literally, your songs <laughs> are boring, but then you have a good guitar player. I think the guitar
1: solo and Painkiller was like almost two minutes.
0: Yeah, but like freaking. Pearl Jam seems like they rely on their guitar player shredding from what I've listened so far. Well, yeah, far. what else
1: do the songs have? They're not like... Nothing!
0: <laughs> just their fucking good-ass guitar player.
1: It's not uh, It's not Eddie Vedder's Yarling. Or maybe it is. They did make a lot of money. Song four is called Why Go. Uh, not much to say. It starts off almost a little funky, and then it comes in with some energy. It's a dancey number. It's short. It's all right. Dude, I just wrote down, this is a fucking Evenflow clone. <laughs> like minus the even flow
0: but no the fucking riff just sound like a newly dude no the fucking verse riff sound like the same style like freaking newly guitar riff that even flow was I'm like, I'm like fuck dude it's just a fucking even flow they ripped off their own song yeah I'm literally disgusted two after songs this. after it on the same album yeah I was literally disgusted at this point it's like Holy fuck. I thought this would be a good album. This, is, this has been enjoying.
1: go <laughs> home? Been... That's how I think he says it.
0: Number five. Yeah, he like does it for like the chorus is like a split second, but like the fucking, I swear, the guitar solos. <laughs> not, I'm not a guitar solo. The fucking noodly ass riff. Oh, yeah. Sounded yeah. like fucking Even Flow. And I'm like, I hate Even Flow. And this sounds
1: like Even Flow. <laughs> so I'm not even going to like it. Track five is black. Now, your feelings on Even Flow is. Basically, my feelings on this one. This is one of Pearl Jam's big ballads. Um, I think the song's all right. Like, if I'm being objective, I think it's a well-composed like, song. But the problem is, is one, on top of just hearing it too much, it's just that Pearl Jam songs they're not like short sweet and to the point like Nirvana songs or they're not like interesting compositions like Alice in Chains if we're talking about their contemporaries Pearl Jam starts somewhere and then they go somewhere and then it's and then they end at the exact same spot it's like their their songs feel like they go in like a straight line and this song this song is like four or five minutes every time I've ever heard this song it feels like it goes on for 10 just because just because like the, the the ending just drags on for me with that like with that piano do 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 like God my shut up Eddie and it's like the hoo 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 yeah 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 but I I
0: I think is the thing how you like even flow is like I think the song's fine like I was like the ballad single I think I've heard this
1: one more than even flow yeah
0: no I think I'm more cursed with even flow because <laughs> the guitar hero but I wrote down it's like it's the ballad single and I uh, fuck with it so.
1: Number six is Jeremy. For me, this is the last... So, wait, Jeremy was the next song. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, for me, Jeremy is like the last thing that you could call a high point for this record. It's dark. It's moody. It has an interesting story. Uh, it's be, it's uh, Well, the song's actually based on like two stories. The first one's on a kid named Jeremy who uh, committed suicide in front of his class in Texas. And the other, I think like the second verse... It's about a boy Eddie Vedder knew in school named uh named Brian, who was a rowdy kid that Eddie like got in fights with. Um, a, sh- a short opinion is of it. Um. It's, uh, I, I actually think it's good. It's got a, you know, it's got a good message. Although I'd never seen the music feel before until you watched it today. Eddie Vedder looks like a fucking geek in that video. Cause like he doesn't, he's like making these weird Jack Black faces and he's like all sm- make all these smirking, smiling things. I'm like, bro, this is a song about suicide. Like, should you really be trying to look like a quirky badass right now? But it's okay because, you know, 20 years later, he would then make a ukulele album. So all's right in the world. But yeah, Jeremy's fine.
0: You yeah, know, I wrote to, well compared to fucking Even Flow, and it sounds like you with like whatever the last song. songs, like, Black. you know, what? yeah, no, Jeremy's fine. Just Jeremy's broken. Like, Black. you know, it's a good I could, chorus. I just couldn't know. I could say it's like, you know what, I could fuck with it. It's not bad. Yeah. I'm not liking this band, but like, the la- the past two songs have been good. Like, they've been good, they haven't been offensive for the most part. Well, offensive because you thought the battle was offensive. You no, know, yes. the fence is that they won't fucking end. Like, literally, after three minutes, it was like the song could end perfectly fine.
1: But they keep fucking going. That's the thing. It's like... They're and not so- <laughs> a good way of going. <laughs> That's the thing. A lot of their songs really aren't that long, but they feel long. Like, okay... What are you a- talking about? No, they're no, like no. five minutes. Well, actually, hold on. let me find the track listing real quick. That's kind
0: it. of fucking long, if you think about it.
1: Uh, here we go, 10. Uh, yeah, here's the track listing. Um... Uh-huh. Yeah, I know. Great radio. I know. Great radio. Almost. Uh, oh, shit. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> dude, they're always like, <laughs> I was like, dude, shit, this First is song's fucking al- long. First song's almost four minutes. Then then Even Flow's almost five minutes. Alive's almost six minutes. Why goes three minutes. Black's almost six minutes. Jeremy's he's five minutes. And then the next four the- songs are under five minutes. And then the last song is nine minutes. Bruh. <laughs> Bruh. Speaking of which, let's oh. talk let's talk about Oceans. It, the, yeah, oh, so oh. this is the point I have not heard the rest of the album. So it's all it, yes. all you, Ed. Oceans. Tell me with passion what you thought the rest of this album was. Oceans is a two and a half minute acoustic interlude. It's pretty and not much else to say. See, unfortunately, I probably could have said more about that. But the problem is, is that do you know how many minute to a minute to a minute to about two and a half minute long, a pretty acoustic interludes I've had to hear listening to Iced Earth? I think I've heard every pretty acoustic interlude I could, variation I can hear. So wait, this
0: is I had a fucking pretty like interlude or the song. Well, no, was it's
1: it? it felt like it. Like there were vocals. It's a song, but it's under three minutes. Which which for any that other that's b- shocking. No, that's just it. For any other band, you'd be like, oh, that's a regular song. Why are you tripping? But Pearl Jam's just assaulted my ears with four, five, and almost six minute songs for like the first half of this album. So it it, it feel it threw off my equilibrium. Song eight's called Porch. It starts with it, the first vocals that Eddie Vedder says in this song are, What the fuck? And I thought, and I got a I, laugh out I of I would have quit. <laughs> fuck. Like, I'm not. Yeah, I, he says, I'm, what I'm the fuck? Fa- That's how he starts the song.
0: I'm not a fan of what I've been listening to. Like, the <laughs> singles are fine, but I'm like, if the rest of the album is just fucking as bad as, like, everything else. It's like, dude. No. And if I hear that what the frick and I was like <laughs> <laughs> That's what he said hold on, let me find it. Oh he just says what the frick Well it makes me sound like this one dude that we used that used to creep around my pad. Uh we'll see, we say we could say good friend Kevin. Where oh, we had okay. an impression where he'd be sitting there and he's like you go like what the fuck? God damn it, Skeeter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What the fuck? That's why I was our like, what the fuck
1: Okay, here it is. Oh, shit. He said it right there. Okay, hold on. Let me put it in front of the thing. (laughs) It does
0: it so, like, in a normal talking voice. Yeah, listen,
1: listen. What the fuck? (laughs) is
0: this? What the fuck? Like,
1: what are you talking about, bruh? Bruh. Uh, What are you Uh, doing? But, yeah, it's it's an up-tempo rock song. Again, it's not grunge at all. Well, is it fun? Yeah. Well, it didn't really grab me. It was there. But I wasn't bored. I'll say that. Okay, that's nice. It's funny. I wrote here. I didn't. I wrote here at the end of track eight. Here, porch. I, I which I just talked about. I literally said, "Well, at least they put all the filler at the end." But I think half this album's filler. It's just that it's not that the songs are filler. It's that, that the songs have well, filler in them.
0: Four huge singles that basically carry them for whatever. How long is a career? But yeah. basically, the rest is just filler to fill out that fucking vinyl press format
1: or yeah. whatever. Track nine is garden. It's pretty, but not very engaging. Catchy at times. Nice solo halfway through. But then it just kind of devolves into a weird jam at the end. Wow, you're really convinced me to make me want to listen to this album and not listen to this album. (laughs) Like, literally,
0: I was not stoked that I've listened so far. You're making it... I'm glad we're like, just, I'm going to have you review the rest because I, you're making it sound like you're giving me a blessing of
1: not I'm starting this fucking album. See, it was the second half of this album where I was starting to be like, oh yeah, this is kind of why I said fuck Pearl Jam. Because for every like song I think is pretty good, they have a bunch of others where I'm like, God, what the fuck are you doing? Anyway, track 10 is called Deep. Uh, It starts off, to me, it sounded vaguely stoner rock it's a little bluesy it's Whoa. not as boring as the last few songs and this is where I wrote I always forget Pearl Jam always has pretty good guitar work and I must say the guitar work in this song in the last few in the last one well, I mean yeah no, Pearl Jam has good guitar players yeah it doesn't save you as a fucking band it doesn't save this album well technically John Sha- technically John Schaefer is a good guitarist and that didn't save Iced Earth no
0: it did not <laughs> he had talented players but can't sa- won't save them for shit if anything it was <laughs> overbloated bullshit bro only eight songs like you had <laughs> (laughs) eight killer songs why did you need like six filler leave no
1: ah stop
0: you're killing me
1: and then the last song is i wrote here track 11 hey i thought this was called 10 because you know it's 11 songs on the album called 10 the song's called release and my dumbass was like release like what like with sex but no i don't think the song's about sex the song, um, this album ends on, like, this, the, the song is slow. Uh, dude. But is you, it, like, good slow? Does it, like, I'll slow I'll tell you for this, Eddie, Eddie vetter goes, you thought he was yarling before. He goes super no, slow. is yarl this, like, a good slow,
0: like, fucking, the Melvin, like, cont- their contemporaries, like, the Melvins?
1: No, because the Melvins would have had a slow song be, like, sludgy and heavy. This is, like, it's not even, like, a ballad. It goes for, like, this kind of ambient thing. Like it, it, it's not a jam. Was it it good ambient? Like, no, no. It was a time. It just didn't need to be nine fucking minutes. Well, because here's what happens: it objectively sounds good. It had a good use of wah pedal, but then like four minutes in, there's or after four minutes, there's like a minute and a half to two minutes of silence, and then of silence, of silence, and then for the last few minutes, and and, and I was like, you mean silence? Like pure silence. So is this a fucking hidden track? Or that's something? what I didn't that's what I was thinking because I cause it happened and I looked down at my phone because I'm like, what the fuck? And it, this was at four what minutes in, and I looked down and I was like, What, what the, the fuck? F- Why is this a nine minute song? What the fuck? And then some ambient percussion emerges from the shadows, and then they start just jamming again for four minutes with no like clear direction. They're just vibing. It was when bad, I was just confused, and I was just like, Man, of all the albums and of all the bands to like have a secret track, it's this one. It, it ended on I don't want to say it ended on like a flat note it just kind of ended on a note where I was just like eh, well okay it sounds like a flat note a little bit so do you want to hear some of the uh, critical reviews of this album please tell me what makes it all like- music 5 out of 5 stars what Bl- Blender 5 out of 5 Chicago what? Chicago Tribune 3 out of 4 Entertainment Weekly B minus Mojo 4 out of 5 Q, what what Q four out of five. Rolling Stone, four out of five. Rolling Stone album guy, four out of five. Uncut, five out of five. The Village Voice, B minus.
0: My only <laughs> argument to that is this was 91, right? Sorry, drinking water. Uh this was 91. I would feel like what people we were stuck listening to in 91 were most likely. Well, never
1: uh Nevermind was out at this point, I think. Yes but they most likely were stuck
0: hearing Winger being the next hot band. Oh, God, that's right. (laughs) So for this to get that high reviews better be in fucking context in 1991, because in 2021, it does not hold up in my view.
1: I think Weezer was out at this point, too.
0: What? Wait, I don't know why
1: I'm going what on Weezer. No, never mind. They started in 92. Okay then, but would you? How would you rate it? Since so you actually listen to the whole album, actually, fuck. Ten came out a month before Nirvana's. Nevermind. Fuck, Nirvana blew them out the fucking water. <laughs> well, that's a good thing. <laughs> um, but they have the album is all right at best. I liked it is a it lot five more. Five out
0: of five. Is you it know four what? I'll say this. I'll say
1: this. When I was a kid, I liked it a lot. But now that I'm older, and maybe I just listen to more music, or maybe I'm just a sour puss. I don't know I, I, I have this opinion that per, I have this idea that maybe Pearl Jam is actually a really good gateway band in the music for people because a lot of the <clears throat> a lot of the commoners mm. seem to like them and what the criti- critics have usually been nice to them Um, and this album got them popular so like I don't know uh, I think it's alright at best and I think it's kind of lame at worst what I've
0: listened to was like, me. I like I guess the singles can carry the album, but it sounds like the rest of the album should just like the filler itself doesn't like sound good. And if we're putting it in context in nineteen ninety one, I'm sure it was just a fucking horrible environment for fucking rock music. <laughs> so this was so this felt fresh. And then with the Rise in Nirvana, people wanted that sound more. So most likely post once like later in ninety one and then ninety two, people latched on the Pearl Jam. Cause believe me, I felt like Jeremy and then like the other like the ballad that you hate it's like those are good songs I hate even flow but yeah. I guess people like even flow but you gotta think in the context of 91 winger was fucking popping and I'm sure like brett michaels was at the fucking mtv music awards so believe me <laughs> there is a tra- that's a transition period from coming from like think what else from is- like the death like the fucking dr- the doldrums of like post 80s Going into the 90s, trying to figure out what the fuck to go on. And then like this is just like, believe me, I'm sure this felt fresh and felt nice in the context of 1991. But in 2021, yeah. I don't feel like See, it holds I'm up. trying
1: to think of what would have been going on in 91. because Bro, I like, had more enjoyment out of the Slayer new metal album. <laughs> and
0: people like shit on that. But I, as we said, it's like it's a bad Slayer album. Yeah. But it felt, like, fresh enough where it's like, oh, what, you want more? Because, believe Slayer just continued doing the same thing, and it was just like... Yeah. You just ignored it. This, you didn't felt ignored, and, like, some of yeah. it's, like, fine. But, like... Because, like, I'm trying to think At least I'm... it's, like, it but challenged myself to listen. I had more enjoyment listening to Slayer new metal album. Mm-hmm. Even the fucking Machine Head album, because that's bad, but, like, <laughs> I can get a good laugh. And it's, yeah. like, it challenged me. This was just, like, trying to challenge me. It like, oh, fuck, this is just slow, bad, and jammy. And yeah. it just... It was all like, if I care to fuck about like good guitar playing and musicianship, that where it's like, I can understand that dude's killer, but that doesn't, I don't vibe with that much. Like, it's cool when you're young and you're like, dude, that sounds like it's exciting and it like something they could latch on, where it's like, frigging it up. That looks super cool. I wanna do that. But for me these days, like, I just want good
1: songwriting It's really It's really interesting Because I was doing some Google uh, I was doing some Google checks While you were talking And like Because I was trying to think to myself I'm like What would have been going on In like ni- in like Between 90 and 91 And I thought of a few things Off the top Like Because you know in 90 um, uh, Molly Crew dropped Dr. Feel Good 91 um, Metallica, Metallica Metallica drops Black Album Metallica. And stuff Metallica and But then like, But then were a lot There were a lot of big names That were And, and Trent Reznor Nine Inch Nails Dropped Broken I think I think in ninety one too, so but like I'm trying to think, there were a bunch of big acts that were gonna be big, but they didn't drop their stuff until ninety two, like Rage Against the Machine, Stone Temple Pilots. So I was I was looking around, but I was trying to think like the only other, like notable things I could think of is like Cowboys from Hell came out in nineteen ninety, but, but I don't like, think that blew up. Freaking Panter- it didn't, like- and so like until until like. Nirvana dropped Nevermind and changed the world overnight. I was I was thinking, man, that's an interesting period of time because, like, you know, Black Album you know made a big splash, but just... oh, it made a huge splash. Don't even deny that. Oh, of course. I don't know. It's just I was just I was just really thinking about it because I'm like, what were people listening to that led to Ten being popular? I don't know. And 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 I was just doing that right now, and it's just really interesting because ninety because 1992 is when like a lot of the stuff we're familiar with really started like coming up I know I think um I think chili peppers were supporting uh because mother's milk came out in 89 I can't remember when blood sex sugar magic came out but Cause really I know the year of
0: 1991 was basically Faith no more like the was tra- out at this point too yeah whatever it's just saying 91 was really the transition of like what was the pop of like the 80s is now going into what we know as like the, the 90s. 90s yeah the early,
1: early the really midnight early really interesting but yeah so that was pearl jam what do you want to listen to next that was a good question. Um, What to fucking listen to next? Well, I don't know if you remember, but last time we were here, um, I said, you know, if you don't want to consult the book again, we could always, because uh, I, I told you it came to me a, f- a few days ago. I was like, you know, because I was listening to Guns N' Roses and I was like, they only have like five albums or six, I think. Well, do we want to? I don't feel like we're going on an album like challenge Okay, yet. Sure.
0: I don't feel like that yet Maybe once we're in Bret Michaels and we're on like a seasonal thing We can go in the vibe of that Sure And stuff too So we can either go to Lul Or the next challenge is I'm working on a fucking live audio project I got the idea while chilling like hmm I wonder if I should have Edward critique and roast The Corpse Live like release we're about to drop Oh my god So I don't know You want to do the book or do you want to roast my band? What do you In want? a live context. What do you want? No, more? your decision. That's what I want. Don't make me decide. I want you to decide. Oh God. Uh, fu-
1: You know what? Fine. I'll, I'll roast Corpse, though. Oh, you're going to roast me. Okay. All
0: right, sweet. Hopefully, I get it done this weekend. If not, bring out the book just in case. Okay. Let's get to the book. Pull up Blue. He's getting up. He's staring at the book with his dead, straight eyes. He's shaking the fucking whatever the fuck this. <clears throat>
1: It's a shelf. James.
0: Shelf thing bullshit.
1: No, it's literally a shelf.
0: The shelf. All right, do the thingy. Okay. Loud and proud because you're very far away from the
1: mic. Okay, here we go. Left, right, forward, back, triple D, D on the attack. attack. Okay, so I opened it up on a thing. We can either listen to Bell and Sebastian's Tiger Milk or DJ Shadows introducing... Tiger Milk sounds more interesting. Okay. (laughs) Dude, it's a fucking title called Tiger's Milk. I'm like, what the fuck?
0: Okay, I might be wanting to check it out.
1: The album cover is a naked woman in a bathtub breastfeeding a toy shark. What? Yeah, look at this. Yeah,
0: well, I'm trying to. So, it's like 10 fucking songs. (laughs)
1: 1996.
0: They're all like, there's the longest song, like, there are two five minute ones. The rest are like three minutes. I am very. Cu- I'm very curious about it. But I'm like, you know what? Just keep that on notes. Hopefully, you remind me. And if not, I might forget listening to that and you'll be stuck revealing it alone again. I but, hope not. Whatever. Well, next time you're revealing alone because you were like going to be roasting my band.
1: Oh, yeah, that's right. If, if you get it
0: done. If I get it done, it depends. Like,. Like I've gotten right now, I've just got the bass mix, but now I gotta go through all the rest of the songs and get them all like in order and stuff, and then make the artwork. All right, we're gonna take a quick-ish bathroom break, and we'll come back to Dark Side of a Football. football! All right, listeners, and we are back to talk about fucking Dark Side of Football. What do we watch? that what was this episode today, my dude? Today's
1: episode was on the. Cleveland Browns. Specifically, the episode was entitled, literally, Why Can't the Browns Win? And when you told me this was going to be the next episode after, you know, Rocky start with the Chad Johnson, but then... <clears throat> into the weird world of bill belichick the crazy world of with the raiders the darkest shit playing through pain episode and then the mid-season or the episode before the mid-season break for dark side of football is wait is episode six the mid-season break well you said there's no episode after this
0: uh, i don't know if there's an episode oh, oh, after oh. six
1: i can like look it's been well, like two weeks st- well still uh yeah um this coming after the play with pain episode i was like what but uh, this episode was interesting, I'll say that. It was an interesting episode. It wasn't much dark, but it was interesting. I don't know,
0: but friggin' I will, like... Um, it is a D word. I, can, I will say that. Which, basically, like, the rest of these up Like, how all these Dark Side of Football episodes... I could get specifics, but literally... It was just a roll call saying the Browns sucked. Yeah. Like, no. No. Literally. It was just like in various reasons of like the whole rocky life of like the whole rocky life of the like the Cleveland Browns. Everyone's saying things from like, oh the freaking like when they went to Baltimore, all the pissed off fans freaking like. The opening Kosar. two sec.
1: The opening two seconds was a Browns player hitting his head furiously, furiously in ag- with agitation with a clipboard. Yes. So friggin,
0: Lolan, if you look at the score, like the friggin scoreboard, it was like 10, like the Browns were 10, well, the other team was like three points. So it was like, well, the Browns are winning, but I guess maybe
1: they lost the friggin One guy says, if you're a football organization, you've had one or two moments of greatness, but for the Browns, it's all been bad. It's all been bad. The narrator says, few teams have disappointed fans like the Browns. And then one guy says, if you look at them, they were never built for success. Just it's fucking funny,
0: bro. This is all stuff that basically will be like come back to later in the episode. Yes, like honestly, at these points, these intros are like obviously like give you a taste what's going on, but it's like the intros don't really like stand alone by themselves. Yeah, there's nothing really that isn't gonna be said later on, on like actually in the same exact detail. This the intro is just fucking a cut, a freaking
1: hella short edit cut of like the episode. So. When we actually like start the thing for real, they talk a bit about how teams and fans like, you know, fans take on the personality of the team, but the team also takes on the personality of the fans in the city. They speak how the city of Cleveland, despite all its hardships, has always remained optimistic. So says Bernie Kosar from uh, the Bill Belichick episode, which,
0: well, because (coughs) Belichick was part of the Browns, which, hey, I guess we'll be talking about that a little later.
1: Yeah, yeah. So from uh so car a man named Carmen Policy, former Browns president, shows up. He speaks of how the community in his day was uh, you know, in the in the old days of the Browns was uh basically a bunch of steelworker bros being bros and supporting their football team, working class kind of guys.
0: I think he skipped over some stuff because like I have here, it's like there's talks of like Cleveland being a loser D tier city, criticism of terrible management, dog pound. One dude talking about the dog pound, like when the Browns actually score, he actually goes up and hugs the peeps and the dog pound he smells like a brewery from all the beer spilling someone says browns fans are like basically this is their motto of life their mantra god family and the Browns. and the browns Yeah, that's the importance of their life then we're at freaking Car- at carmen uh at freaking carmen policy yeah and he tells us about like he's from like youngstown ohio and it's a very community oriented environment and that's kind of how the browns fans are it's a very like community like a tight Basically, a tight knit community for the most part.
1: They talk about a man named Paul Brown, who they actually is the reason that they named the team the Browns. Uh, they talk about he was an innovator. He uh, he's the first guy to put radios in the helmets. He hired black players. He was he was he was Cleveland's Al Davis in a lot of ways. I think he predated Al Davis, but I might be wrong.
0: Maybe a little bit. I oh, don't know. This is this, like here's the thing. They like go hella back in the history of the freaking like yeah. Browns. They, like, like, they... Or like at least just the history because like a lot of this stuff was like. I guess a golden time period of the 90s and like the 2000s where maybe football was most important and documented or something. I don't know. But like they talked about they're like going back to the 50s here and shit. Yeah. Like it was like, damn,
1: we're going he- way back in history. They mentioned they eventually under him, they win three titles in six years. They speak of Jim Brown putting him on the map. But then Jim or Paul Brown. Sorry, yeah. sorry, I meant to say yeah, uh, putting them on the map. But then they get bought by a guy named Arthur Modell, a rich guy who bought the team with, and this is a quote, barroom money. Barroom or borrowed? I thought he said barroom. I thought he said borrow. I couldn't really hear. I thought he said barroom. Well, borrowed money is like,
0: oh, so he just like he bought the team with fake money, but I realized, oh, barroom money. Whatever, fuck, let's just say barroom money. He bought him with money. It was either or. He bought him with money that <laughs> I don't know
1: if he should have been having that money. And he buys the team and eventually fires uh, Paul Brown. They out, They paint the narrative to basically be like, and this sounds pretty true, he was just basic, basically a rich boy fucking around with money and destroyed the team's legacy single-handedly. Yes, the very little legacy they had. So correct me if I'm wrong, did I get this right? So then Cleveland like gets caught on fire... Well, what they
0: talk about is like all the that Cleveland used to be a freaking like manufacturing town, but around the seventies, the manur, the manufacturing jobs start going away. They talk about like all the fucking toxic pollution in the river, and the river itself would catch fire pretty often. So that's the one thing they talk about getting caught on fire is okay. the river getting caught on fire because there's
1: so much fucking manufacturer waste in the fucking water. And uh, when all that hardship was going around, um, I think it was Bernie Kosar that said this uh, football was uh, the town's only saving grace at that point, you know, pleasant distraction and all that. And like the Browns did well, like the very beginning. But then basically they were on like a 16 like they lost. They had a
0: losing like they had losing records for like 16 seasons. Yeah. (laughs) I'm
1: just like, fuck, bro. Dequel uh, Dequell Jackson on, uh, he says he, he talks about when he played for the Browns and he said there was a point because, you know, losing that much gets to you. He literally said that when he would tell people he played football, he would try to tell avoid telling them he played for the Browns. Dude, Dequil Jackson went the fuck around. Yeah, no like, fucking in kidding. This, like, no, How long does he play football? In this documentary,
0: like just in this documentary series, he's in like almost every goddamn episode. And it sounds like he
1: was on like a different team every episode. Yeah. So then here comes local hero, Bernie Kosar. Like in 1985. They play up this man like he's the saving grace of the town. The ultimate feel-good stuff. Um, Basically, he
0: was an Ohio, a Cleveland, Ohio-born boy. Yeah. Or, like,
1: Youngstown, Ohio, which is right next to
0: Cleveland and stuff. Basically, he is Ohio-born. And, basically, he's, like, what, well, like the first
1: draft pick for, like, the free yeah. Cleveland Browns. And, basically, he's going to become the hero to I save remember, the Browns. I remember how we talked in the Belichick episode where it was, like, you know, we didn't see a lot of him. But, you know, we were kind of wondering maybe he wasn't that good or whatever like that and stuff. And th- this episode sheds a little more light on what happened before Belichick showed up. Um So... He gets there. They're doing all right. They beat the Jets in a great game. Well, the next year in the
0: 1986 yeah. season, they won like 12 games, yeah. and they beat the Jets in like a playoff game in a double
1: overtime game. But then they start, but then they lose two playoffs in a row against John Elway's Broncos. To be fair, though. That's those, not fair. That's John Elway's Broncos. That's Bronco. John Elway's Broncos. <laughs> those are some good. Those were probably the best Broncos. Maybe. Yes. Then the. Let's talk about Peyton Manning and him right out in the sunset, tipping the Cowboy hat before the Broncos, you know what, good for Peyton the, Manning. you know what, the man, good for the Mannies. you know, they're not douchebags like other football people, yeah. So then the owner, Cali- uh, the epitome of California, cool, oh fucking Tom God. Brady, fucking them, sort of. So then the owner was like, Fuck, bro, these guys have been losers for 30. 30- I'm paraphrasing, but well, like- these guys have been losers for 30 years, we need something new, and then this is a quote. This is what the narrator says. Oh, fuck. The narrator says, the defensive mastermind of the New York Giants who just won them a Super Bowl, Bill Belichick. Oh, my God. I was like, fuck off. Dude. This Why it- does this documentary series have to suck his balls? They just like sucking on Bella Belichick's balls. Maybe he put this shit together. I don't need this show to suck Belichick's Bella balls every fucking episode.
0: Well, too fucking bad. You got to deal with fucking Bella balls every fucking
1: episode. So Bella Ball and the owner got along great because, and they didn't say it like this directly, but they kind of painted out. Bill Belichick and Arthur Modell are kind of cold, heartless bastards. And he cuts Bernie Kosar loose for diminishing skills. Well, he says is diminishing what skills, he says diminishing and
0: everyone's skills. pissed about that because Bernie Crossar sounds like the Browns were having winning seasons. Yeah. They just couldn't make it to, the like, they just didn't do well in the playoffs. They
1: say this a little later, but one thing that consistently they talk about with the Browns is they get some pretty good players, but they just don't have, like, a great supporting team.
0: Yeah, I know. Like, I can't see where the fuck am I.
1: Well, all right, right now like, we're, John, on, we always, we're, bro, we're, we're talking, talking to... about Bill Bella balls. Yeah, now we're on and how... him firing
0: Kosar. The Belichick needs security because he's he like, because he is pissed off Cleveland. He fired the friggin' Ohio-born likes superstar of Kosar. Yeah, and it's like, oh yeah, no, he needed friggin' like uh, security a- escorts because like everyone wanted to murder friggin' Bella balls.
1: And then, and then the owner, and then after all that, then they moved to Baltimore. It was a cold Thanksgiving in Cleveland. I
0: wrote. Yeah, because again, now that's how we meet Mark Viviano, which basically he is a. He's a sports reporter or For, sports, in Baltimore. Yeah, let's just say he's a, yeah in Baltimore. He's a sports journalist, and he was doing a radio show, and he got a scoop, which then he announced on the air that the Browns are moving to Baltimore, and this just crushes the Cleveland people. Oh no! At least it wasn't even the documentary. Says. It wasn't even
1: that he got the tip. He typed out a letter. He faxed it to ESPN, and then ESPN read it that night. And boom, spoilers for WrestleMania, Cleveland's leaving. So now Cleveland is fucking furious. This one man, I think his name was Jay Crayford or something. He literally calls it um, a divorce. Basically, it's Modelle just like is,
0: they're,
1: I think they're just more pissed at Modell.
0: Yes, Modell. They're just is, sad that their team just been like ripped apart, like had just ripped, just friggin like gutted.
1: Which by the way, they showed this more in the opening, but like when the Browns were going to move, they fucking showed people picketing and like marching in the street and motherfuckers had caskets.
0: Oh, and also fucking dolls where they're like of like friggin Art modellas. as they're like hanging these dolls. But this
1: wasn't like my Raiders story where they did it with the Broncos. Oh, no. They built the stand. They built the trap door. They built a working trap door. Then the puppet. And then they actually dropped the thing. They, they built a full on fucking just hangman's gallery for this Arthur Modell. Yes. For Arthur,
0: they're a shitty makeshift Arthur Modell. I think Cleveland really hated Arthur Modell, (laughs) especially when he moved the team away from Cleveland to Baltimore. This
1: guy kind of reminds me of how Mark Davis fucked up the Raiders and now they're in Las Vegas. Like, no,
0: they didn't really like say
1: much on like the
0: Browns during their life in Baltimore. They really didn't.
1: They just, because they talk about how Arthur's hated and then they jump and they're like, now it's 1999. Yeah,
0: that's the thing. So it's like, we don't know if like, what was their what was the Browns? Wait, were the Browns even a team when they moved to Baltimore? Or were they something else? Or I thought they got to keep the name. Like, were they still the Browns? Because they, like, made it sound weird on this documentary. Because yeah. now we're in 1999. Cleveland basically, they, like, said it's like, oh, it's like now the city's rebuilt. It's more hip Yeah, hip-feeling. they've got coffee clubs, the I Rock just, and Roll Hall of Fame. Did, yeah, I just wrote down, it's like, so Cleveland became a gentrified city, and the Browns
1: <laughs> came back. So in comes Which out. Let's be real here.
0: That's what it was. Yeah. Like, they made it sound like the town became hip. It's like, no, they just basically, that's what gentrification is. They took the shitty, like, slums of Cleveland. Yeah. People with money came in, and now they, like, like most likely, charge the crap out of it to make it all like like a what was a D tier city to a B tier city. I mean, they put maybe the, an A tier. I don't know. I've never been to Cleveland, Ohio. I mean, hey, you got to remember, man. The heart of rock and roll
1: is in Cleveland.
0: And I'm about to say, and like late nine yeah, no, I heard Cleveland was a fucking sketchy ass city for the most part during late nineties. So well, maybe surprise frig- me. So yeah, no, maybe during the basically around the Y two K like period, friggin', yeah, uh Cleveland got gentrified out and became a hip city. So in comes, for the most
1: part. So in comes Al Lerner, another rich boy from New York, but he actually gave a shit and Cleveland actually liked him. Uh he was able to do everything that uh Arthur Medella wanted. Uh he kept the name. He got them an expansion team, and he oh, What the got fuck's this
0: expansion- Dude, they kept talking about expansion team. I don't know. I, I was
1: hoping you knew what that was. I
0: didn't. I was like, what the fuck is this expansion team? And he talks? got
1: them a stadium.
0: So life is good. Yeah, I know. Like, Cleveland got gentrified. It's like, I keep being an asshole about it. So then, now the pressure's on, and then draft comes. Well, we meet, like, Carmen Policy, because he talks oh, yeah, about yeah. being moved from the Niners to the Browns. And then the fucking draft pick comes, and they're doing the whole, like, friggin' Bernie Kosar thing. Seems yes. like they like what we had the same issues with Al Davis. It's like, well, we had this one thing that kind of helped us. Let's try it again. So let's get a Ohio-born,
1: bred boy, a man named Tim Couch, who no one wanted. The fans weren't happy with the pick. Apparently, some of the people in the organization weren't happy with the pick. They wanted a guy named Donovan McNabb. Oh, I wonder what happened to Donovan McNabb. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck, when they said it's like they had Donovan
0: McNabb, I'm like, oh, bro, what? They could have got Donovan McNabb, but yeah. They wanted something that fit more of the team right because they, they were thinking it pretty, like, through and through. But I think they wanted to, like... They were <clears> thinking more of, like, the environment and the community of, like, Cleveland and the Browns. Yeah.
1: More than having a winning team. Then, uh... <laughs> oh, and then they, um... Like, straight up... There was one guy that said he was, like, yeah, I think even the narrator said that he was, like, not the right choice. The narrator roasts the selection process. Well, um, here's the
0: thing. It's, like, they get selected, and it's, like, it's whatever's, But then they're doing, but they get to play the preseason Hall of Fame game yeah. against the Cowboys, and they beat the Cowboys. Yeah. Which is, like, oh, damn, this is, like,
1: good signs to come. But then they talk about the season being, eh. Yeah, because, like I said, the narrator literally says... Most teams drafted players with scientific with the scientific approach, crunching numbers and pouring data to determine probability for success. Then there are the Browns. Then they also also drafted a guy named day. uh, I think his name was Daylon McClutcheon or something.
0: Or something like that. Because here's the thing. It's like they talk about winning the like preseason game with the Cowboys. But then they just talk about like, I guess there's a fierce rivalry of
1: the Browns versus the Steelers. And I think it's because of this game. Because the Steelers fucking cream the Browns 43 to 0. Yes. And like, I guess now that's clearly- like when you play one of that's like when you play a Madden game against someone who's not good at sports games and you just beat them like 65 to 12.
0: Yeah, I know. It was just freaking got murked. But I'm like, how's it much of a rivalry? Like, I feel like a
1: rivalry needs a little back and forth. It's not a rivalry. Cleveland's just mad that the Steelers beat them yeah they're just mad at the fucking Steelers so the idea is Couch was an all right player but they put him in charge of an expansion team and he didn't have good players to back him up Dennis North cut on he says he felt that uh, uh, Tim Couch was under too much pressure and he just crumbled so then I think the next season the Browns go 2-14 and 14. fucking oof Dude, basically,
0: it's like, dude, what the fuck? And they just talk about basically they would have a good quarterback coming out of the draft. But yeah, no, crappy support. But team.
1: somehow, some fucking way they get another first round draft pick again. Yeah, it's like
0: that's a common thing. It's like Browns get first round draft pick. I'm like, bro. I'm like, who the fuck do, do they get, pay off? I was about to say, they either pay off or it's like, all right, whoever's the shittiest team, you get the first round
1: draft pick. <laughs> to make it fair. Yeah. So hey, get someone good. <laughs> and then they're but like But they don't. Spoiler alert. Okay, so basically the, the Cleveland's mentality is okay, we cocked it up last time, but we got it. Second chance this time, second chance time, boys. So they get Courtney Brown. And it doesn't work.
0: Yeah, he's like a killer, like friggin' defensive end. And was like good in college, but it was a total bust because who knows what like the friggin' environment is for the Browns. But they talk about also during that same draft. God season, fucking damn it. They talk about California cool Tom Brady, as he could have almost went to the Browns. It's just like I don't know if, like, that would have been, if they would have got Tom Brady, but would have Tom Brady become Tom Brady if he did go to the rounds?
1: No. No. No, he wouldn't have. (laughs) Yeah, because Bella Balls, like, molded him into a fucking, like, to the GOAT, I guess. I guess. Fuck, even my, my my microphone is pissed. It was trying to get away from me. <laughs> it's like, oh, you guys are talking about Tom Brady again. <laughs> it was shriveling up like a sad penis. Can we not
0: talk about Tom Brady? Please go away. Tom <sighs> Brady is the epitome of college. So that Donovan 20.
1: guy would Ooh. lead so that Donovan guy would lead the Jets to glory and Brady leads the Patriots to immortality.
0: Yeah, they talk about Dominic McNabb freaking like, yeah, having the Eagles like I think they won a Super Bowl or something. Yeah. Somethin'. And then, yeah, also fucking like, yeah, Tom Brady, uh, whoever the fuck. They literally, the narrator was sarcastic about Tom Brady. It's like, I don't know, maybe he did some good things or something. I was like,
1: oh, my God. I'm like, fucking hell. So Chris Palmer gets canned and they bring in Butch Davis, which, by the way, can I say, is that not an all-American name right there? Oh, what's your name? I'm Butch Davis. Like, oh, damn, you must get all the females. And like that Cle- the fucking video in Cleveland, you made me watch, in or Cleveland or? Ohio. Like that fucking video, like Wha- that fucking video you made me watch about uh, the cock master.
0: Oh, you mean fucking Vince the cock? Yeah, p- yeah, Massive master pickup artist. I've made out over with 5,000 5, women. women. I was like, the only cock block wh- is wh- you. I like he talks about like how much women he made out with, uh, instead of talking about how much women he actually got laid. <laughs> That's the thing. I'm curious, you notice, like that. I'm like, no, you think it's like. In this situation, dudes talk about how much they got laid with different women. Yes, but he's just talking about making out with them. I'm like, why aren't you talking about getting laid? <laughs> making out? What? <laughs> I'm like, yeah, making out's cool, but like, I thought this was like a thing of like how much you got laid. Yeah, making out's awesome, but like, it just seems like it seems like a half measure. Yeah, yeah, no, but we're like totally good. Like some goofy Sorry. pickup artist. Let's talk about the Browns. So they going on. Fuck, for the- are the Browns
1: more interesting than the fucking goofy pickup artists? Yes. Wow. I think so. so uh, this is where so, we're at. So, like I said, uh, they bring Bush Davis. Then they actually make it to the playoffs. They make, It's against the Steelers. They want revenge. And going into the second half, uh, kind of a lot like the Oakland Raiders, the defense dropped the ball and Northcutt missed a crucial pass, who in this interview is like, yeah, I dropped the ball. Oh, wait, he, that wasn't even a pun, but yeah, I think he actually said that. But yeah, he was like, yeah, yeah, I messed
0: up. But yeah, but no, like Butch Davis in 2002 got the Browns to a winning season or something. But yeah, yeah. no, no, we're talking about the next Steelers game where they're winning, but then basically crap down the end. So now they get another, oh, no, they're get their old owner of like Al earner.
1: Al Lerner. Al Lerner. He passes I away. Remember, I couldn't. I wasn't sure if it was Erner or Lerner. He passes away. Carmen steps down. There's this actually, I'm not gonna lie, this was actually a pretty cool shot they had. They had like this nameplate on a desk and and it would cycle through all the different like folks that came out of there over the next years, like Phil Savage, GM, George Cockins, or I think it was, yeah, Cockins, Late. GM, Michael Lombardi, Ray Falmer, GM, GM, Sashi Brown, VP of Operations. For comparison, one guy says the Steelers have had like three coaches in 50 years and the Ravens have had like three coaches and two GMs in 25 Yes. The Browns
0: had like, fuck it. They talk about the Browns having five different head coaches in eight years. Eight years. That's insanity. I'm like, that's literally what they just, what you said in this, like, next, like, five minutes is talking about, like, they cycled through people nonstop. They never let, like, some people stay and have a chance to build. Yeah. It was just a constant cycle of people going in and out. And it's like, it's uh, kind of, it's it's kind of, cool. like,
1: it's kind of like, you know, oh, shit. God damn it. Sorry, my even my microphone stands. All right, dude, tighten that fucking shit, uh, hell yeah! On. There we go. It it kind of reminds me of like you know how when people complain with WWE when sometimes they like take too long to push somebody or it's like they push somebody immediately and then they get mad when it doesn't stick. That's what this is. They're uh, Cleveland Browns keep hoping for that like immediate success. But yep. It ain't working for him. It ain't working. Whatever.
0: A, yeah, but so now, we,
1: so now at this point, um, they talk about. Thing, at this point, the Browns are basically a meme, and their bad record. Then it comes in Thick Boy Romeo Cronell or Cronell. Yeah, he worked under Belichick actually, defensive coordinator, and they draft Brady Quinn someone who passed the look test that's what they said someone who passed the look test be an Ohio born and my first thought was when he said that I'm like pass the look test what the fact that he's white because like from Ohio or yeah so they talk about how it's uh, a couple of players talk about how it sucks when coaches come and go because <clears throat> excuse me because uh, they don't really have time to like gel with them and build chemistry and then this is a quote Narrator says the Browns took all the hard lessons about drafting first-round quarterbacks and totally ignored them. That's exactly what he says. Yeah, I know because friggin' like the where were we at? Yeah, I know friggin'
0: like B. Quinn, whatever. Because he didn't get his like first name. Another draft bust. Then they talk about after Romeo left, it was like five head coaches on in like eight years. Now they talk about fucking Johnny Manziel for a second. Johnny football. Johnny Football. And it's like, why are you calling yourself Johnny Football? Like, you're not, like, proving yourself. Like, I guess he was all right in college. Like, he was killer in college. And he was, like, he had a, he was a charismatic rock star. But basically, he was an epic fail because he was a lazy yes. dude. And basically, like, they had him for a little bit. But then there was, like, an issue of him with domestic violence. And, yeah, he got freaking fired from the team. Johnny Football, bro. <laughs> Johnny Football, bro. <laughs> I
1: remember Johnny Football. Fuck. I think oh I might have been out of it at the time. So the new owner uh, comes under fire because he can't get it together. And then to make it worse, they bring Hugh Jackson in. And then first season, they go 1-16. and 16. And then Sorry, the ne- I think it's 15. And then the next
0: season, they went 0-16. 0-16. And, oh, and, and they talk about like this just being like, oh
1: dang, Well, and like there's the meme of like the Cleveland peeps wanted to have a And then this narrator seems to suck Belichick's dick for no reason. Uh, this one guy on. He literally says, What's harder to do? Be like Belichick and win and be consistently great, or be like the Browns and then consistently lose. I'm like, Belichick's a fucking cheater. Yeah. <laughs> So then they pick Baker Mayfield, and people are like, "Oh fuck!" But he got him to the playoffs last year. Yeah, I was like, "What the fuck?"
0: They and even beat the Steelers. Yeah, I beat the Steelers, but they lost to the Redskins. I'm like, "Wait, weren't like the Redskins fucking monsters in like yeah, in the 2019 were. and 2020?" Yeah, they were for whatever
1: random reason. Yeah,
0: yeah, I was like the one. The yeah, it's like, all right, we got a killer ass team right now. But then it was just a roll call of them talking about hopefuls and hopes of the Browns not sucking into this coming
1: decade, which I felt kind of like I felt that I felt that was a little uh, lame of them to undermine that. I mean, they made it to the playoffs after like you know not being that far removed from a from a one and fifteen and zero and sixteen season. I'm like, let them have that, you know. Uh, yeah, no, they they uh, future hopefully looks bright for the Browns, but. This document, this documentary, was just kind of fucking pain and misery. I just wrote down it's like for the fans. You might, yeah, no, for pain and misery. I wouldn't
0: say it's really dark, but holy fuck, dude! This it's docu- interesting. No, this documentary was depressing. <laughs> That's literally. I was like, "Oh, hey, lol!" Like they made a thing of like the Browns sucking. This should be funny. And then I'm like, "Watch them, like, see, I wow, tol- this is really depressing." See, I told you. I actually feels like, damn, I feel sorry for the Browns. See,
1: I told you, they're either gonna make this episode into a complete meme, or they're gonna play it completely deadly serious. And they played the Browns being a piece, a bad team completely serious, and it's
0: very depressing. It's I like, almost
1: felt bad laughing at him.
0: Yeah, no. Almost. I've almost. Like <laughs> I'm I'm like give me a couple days I'll be back to laughing about the Browns. Of course. But like today I'm like I feel sad for the Browns.
1: I want to give the like the Browns deserve a hug. I was yeah, you want to just give the entire the metaphorical organization a hug. Yes, the Browns deserve a hug. But that yeah, was an interesting episode. This felt the most like documentary of the other ones. I mean, Play with Pain was too and so was the Raiders, but like this one was like straight documentary. Yeah, this actually felt yeah.
0: I would say so too for again like total straight documentary.
1: I was a little bummed, not bummed. I was a little kind of uh whatevered on the fact that they didn't really talk about them in Baltimore just cuz I would that would have been neat to hear. Nice to have some information on that because that's just a fucking gap
0: of information of like Yeah. Life. So I was just like we are hearing some outside. It's like, wait, what the fuck was that? But okay then. Alright. Now then it's time for the main event of our podcast. Yes. The Dark Side of the Rings episode on the Dynamite Kit. Wait, what the fuck was this title? Was it just Dynamite Kid or Actually, I don't even know. Let me check on. Let me check on. Well, you figure that out, and I get the time stamp. Uh, basically, this episode of Dark Side of the Ring was about the Dynamite Kid. let me get to the top of my notes. Great radio. Great yeah, I think radio. they just. I think they just called it the Dynamite Kid. Whatever. We get six shots of dynamite freaking going like a million miles an hour and just yes. snapping and beating the shit
1: out of people. You get like r- this is
0: super impressive footage. You go, yeah. like, dude,
1: holy fuck. We get what a, a machine! We get a roll call of folks from Lance Storm, the Mick Foley, and Dave Meltzer, basically talking about how Dynamite Kid here was like the blue the blueprint of the modern wrestler and just how much of a badass he was.
0: Yeah, he was just hella hella killer. Well, that's the intro, but then we get Lance Storm, like fr- we get the first thing of Lance Storm coming in, him talking about how awesome Dynamite was and the architect of what it is of. M- what would be modern wrestling, more athletic base and stuff. Yes. I wouldn't say it was like as much of like hard snaps because you think about dynamite. We get footage of it's just like he's got great freaking like snap and intensity with his stuff. Not like some peeps like some peeps are athletic, but they also look like they're floating through the air. So,
1: yeah, there's no impact.
0: Yeah, like dynamite had impact. But what, sure. we meet Michelle Billington, his. I would say ex-wife.
1: Yeah, I was just say actually. Well, they never officially divorced, so technically she's his widow. Yeah, whatever. they were separated. She, whatever.
0: Michelle Billington was the was married to the Dynamite Kid. Yes, and is the sister of Julie Hart.
1: Yeah, um, and she talks about how um, yeah, she talks about when they were young, they moved to Calgary, and how her sister basically fell in love with Bret Hart at first sight, and it's she like, oh, also who's met Dynamite that hot guy. Did did Julie Hart kind of look and talk a little like Bret too? I don't know. Maybe if you live like, with, like she maybe se- if
0: you live with Brett forever and Stu, you might get that like <laughs>
1: Canadian accent afflictions. Like I don't know what it's like. Like every time I look Brett Hart, he always just looks like pissed off and depressed, and she kind of looked pissed off and depressed just on default. <laughs> um, so yes, uh, she recalls scenes out of my kid wrestling. So he was great. Uh, she tells this really r- romantic tale of this walk together in the snow. And all the flakes look like diamonds. Yeah. Cause like she, see,
0: like she was li- her and her and Julie Hart were living together. And with Brett and stuff too, they go to wrestling shows and like friggin' the dynamite kid would be like a creepy stalker. Try to start conversation behind Michelle.
1: Oh yeah, that's right. They she
0: did say he did
1: so, that. Yeah, was, Well, she didn't say it like that,
0: but, but whatever. Socially awkward, freaking short, muscled.
1: Like I don't think it was like as like stupidly jacked. But she recalls their. Uh, she actually reads a letter that Dynamite wrote her, a very sweetly written love letter. Yeah, and like and it, how he wanted to start a family with her, and they did. Uh, she he gives her uh, her first daughter, uh, Brolyn. Or Bron- well, after like, dude, she like married Dynamite at the
0: age of 18. 18. I was like, damn. So yeah, we meet Brolin, Dynamite's first daughter,
1: maybe his first kid, period. So. I think so. Yes. She comes on and she talks about how uh, Dynamite had a ring in the back and how he'd wrestle, you know, play wrestle with his kids, but also uh, he'd, he'd wrestle with his friends uh, in that ring. Basically she, practicing his sick shit. She recalls being backstage at shows and hanging out with Randy Savage and Miss Elizabeth. She said they always liked her. Uh, and she talks about his. Uh, Ooh, yeah, Ooh, yeah, Ooh, yeah. She talks about Dynamite's funny personality. You know his jokes, uh, and, and apparently he had uh, false teeth too. So he would like remove the retainer for him, and he'd like you know. Or they talk about a time where laugh. he had
0: like false teeth or his like teeth fell. Which out. I
1: didn't think nothing about, but until something happened later. Yes,
0: <laughs> but yeah, he would play like magic tricks with his freaking retainer, and you just hear about like the Dynamite kid and his fucking his fucking English accent because yeah. he sounded like this. I know there's a couple different British accents. You get the Gordon Ramsay, where it's like, oh, I'm British. Yeah, Mm, yeah, yeah. That's a great creme boulet. Then that that f- is
1: a fabulous cream ballet. You have to saute the whatevers and then put it in there. Wonderful, and then and then lightly add the pepper. Delicious. He always adds in random superfluous things into his things. And then you He'll get the call- fucking
0: English accents
1: where it just. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to think. You of wants some beer. It's got some spit in it. <laughs> I don't know,
0: like... And then we got Dynamite, where it's just like, eh, fucking... I'm um, fucking British law. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> He, to like, said fuck instead of fuck. Yeah, he was that British. What the fuck? Like, what the fuck? No, it's the best where Jericho talks about him, actually, like, first time him meeting Dynamite Kid. Oh, yeah, he
1: mentioned that in his first book. Yeah,
0: where he tried to, like, go up and try to get an autograph from it, and, like, Dynamite Kid turned around and was like, don't you fucking do it. Don't you fucking dare, kid. Turn around. And it's like... <sighs> Great first meeting with Dynamite. I'm like, man, what a dick. What <laughs> well we get to see more of him yes. being a dick in this documentary. Where the fuck are we?
1: Well, right now his youngest daughter, Amaris, I think, talks yes. about the pride that she used to feel with him when he, you know, when he would wrestle. Mick Foley on he talks about how fucking sick Dynamite's matches were in New Japan because with as, tiger mask. Because as any smart worth his worth his salt will tell you, hey, newsflash. Tiger Mask versus Dynamite Kid is like some of the best wrestling of all time especially for or at di- least some of the most iconic
0: it's like what for sure like the earliest like architect of like athletic based they wrestling were,
1: they were almost literally close to 20 years ahead of their time maybe 30 yes and basically anyone that was able to get the taste like were if you like watched, hella stoked on like them. if you watched Ring of Honor or new or uh, I went to PWG any time between 2000, between 2000 let's say 2 2000, to like 2012 you saw this type of match Yes. So Dave Meltzer on, he straight up says without Dynamite Kid there's no Jushin Liger, no Chris Benoit, no Eddie Guerrero even. They talk about how he eventually signs with WWF. In the year of our Lord of 1984. And he's there actually with the whole Hart family.
0: Yeah, yeah. Because here's the thing around that time, uh, Vince McMahon bought out Stampede Wrestling. That's right. For the freaking syndication. But in return, freaking Stu Hart asked him, to like, can you employ... My top dudes of Dynamite, Bulldog, Owen Hart and Bret Hart,
1: you know, and Anvil. Yeah. yeah. Except for the except for the, you know, Montreal Screwjob. Vince treated the hearts pretty well, I think yeah no, well it depends like they weren't he never
0: slaughtered them as stars and basically not they're like, like super main
1: eventers but you know he put belts on them he let their matches have time he let them win stuff
0: yeah for the you most know? part
1: but not as
0: like mega stars. No, he never it no. well until the 90s where yes. like he had no one left and then it's like everyone <laughs> it's really like, oh, loved yeah, you've Brett. been
1: here for like 15 years you want a shot <laughs> well it's not like you want a
0: shot he's just sitting there and was like fuck all these fucking nerds like Brett so much fine <laughs> we'll give you the
1: title we'll see where this goes and like so see he listens to the fans it just takes literally a decade. Yes. So uh then Dan Spivion. Oh, really quick before that, they mentioned a quick thing about how his body was already starting to show signs of breaking down. Dan Spive. Yeah, no, he got his fucking
0: back vest up in one of the
1: Tiger Mask matches. Yeah. So. Dan Spivion talks about how specifically he described Dynamite Kid as like one big well, let me try to do his voice. He was like one big muscle. Ah. <laughs> he had a really scraggly voice. Yeah, I had a very scraggly voice. One big muscle. He said he had muscles ripping out of his ass. I think that's what he said.
0: Yeah, no, because freaking dynamite isn't a big dude, and he was like a like a short, tiny like he was a short, skinny person. Yes. But
1: he got really, really fucking jacked. Scott McGee on. talks about how they were pretty good pals and Scott or Tom McGee. Tom McGee. Sorry, is it Tom or Scott? No, I thought. Well, I wrote Scott. I thought it was Scott. I think his real S- name's Tom. Yeah, I kept writing Tom
0: McGee. I think Tom McGee was the fucking, like, Mega Man dude, or, like, they thought he'd be a star, but, like, it was Brett that, like, carried him to a killer match.
1: And he said every day hanging out so with Dynamite. Scott McGee, or McGee. Yeah. And he said, uh, you know, every day hanging out with Dynamite Kid was like a party. Uh, you know, they would, he said, he said that, he said in the locker room, homeboys would literally stick each other with needles, and then they would use the, de- the needles as darts. And just throw them at the wall. At this point, uh, him and Davey Boy Smith are kicking major ass all around, and then uh, they become a popular tag team. And in comes Jacques Rougeau. Well, they became the freaking. They became a
0: popular tag team. The in British 1985. Yes, and then we meet Jacques Rougeau, and he talks about how much of a fucking savage Dynamite was. Yeah, because you remember him just like he'd be going in, and you see Dynamite, and he just goes, <laughs> and he's got a fucking his like ass out with a freaking needle stick sticking out of like hanging in his ass and stuff. He's yeah, like, yeah. What the fuck is up with this
1: guy? <laughs> Holy shit. Jacques Cruchot. So he uh uh Dynamite and the British Bulldogs win the tag titles at WrestleMania 2. Um and uh now they talk about how Dynamite Kid was a product of the UK's snake pit.
0: Yeah, which I don't know if there was an actual pro wrestling school or a catch wrestling school. I or thought if that was both. It was.
1: I, thought, I thought it was a catch wrestling school.
0: Yeah, yeah. So let's just say I think it was a catch wrestling school. So and they, like they talked about his upbringing for like a split second. Yes. By that they just talked about the snake pit and basically how much of a rough environment it was. As you saw
1: like a freaking like old dude like stretching like the kids out and yes. shit. Now it's 1986. Les Thornton and Mick Foley are going to face the British Bulldogs in a match. And Dynamite Kid... Straight he's just, up, he's just a total fucking
0: savage. Like he's shaking the ropes. Like bring yeah. me in,
1: get me in. He goes to clothesline, quote unquote, McFoley. He does not clothesline McFoley. He hits him full stop with his fucking forearm. No, it's his bicep. Bicep. They yeah, literally yeah, like yeah, yeah. he both him
0: straight in the face, but it is so roided out, and his bicep is basically solid steel. He
1: dislocates McFoley's jaw for three weeks. Like this is his second match ever. Yeah, Foley said I've had one match to my name. He's still Jack. Foley at this point yes he, he's had one match to his name and he's in there with you know those guys but then Mick Foley being fucking Mick Foley he was he was like he went up to them shook their hands oh yeah it was a real honor to be in the ring with you guys and then he went back to his hotel and puked Yes, because he's Mick fucking Foley. That's Mick Foley. Like if you want to describe Mick Foley, that's a good description of Mick Foley. So Dynamite starts spiraling in the madness. He starts provoking fights, ribbing people because he was a ribber. Um, Like He was a
0: ribber, but his ribs were hella mean because he roofied
1: the guy. No, he would roofie people on the regular. Oh, he did. I okay. I thought they literally talked about like that.
0: Like no, he had gimmicks where he would just drop roofies into like people's drinks just to fuck with them. Ha ha, lol. You crashed out. I mean, but he was talking about. They were talking about like some cocky motherfucker. And just him being mouthy and it's like, hey, no fuck this guy. So they freaking like, yeah, they date rape, they drop a date rape drug in his drink, then they climb through the window of his hotel room, shave off his eyebrow and his hair, and then shit in his bag. And then the guy went home.
1: <laughs> he scared I'd go for home his too. life. I'd go home too. You know what? I'd wake up, I'd see that. I don't know. I don't think I'd react in anger. I don't think I'd like cry or anything. I would just be like, you know what? This is not for me. I am going to peace out. <laughs> I know. (laughs) So that happens. Um, and Michelle talks says he didn't used to be like that. And honestly, I kind of press X to doubt on that one. I think it got exacerbated as he went crazy. Well, it sounds
0: like Michelle says he was a very cool gentleman as time goes on, but like repeated steroid use and freaking drug abuse, and him always cracking his head on flying headbutts. And now he just he's had a product a, of fucking CTE. So yeah, yeah, no, he's gone crazy, and also depression, and and because we now, get to now we talk about where his ba- path to depression.
1: Yeah, and now his back is injured and and he was never the same after Well, that like said. his
0: back's been injured, but they literally like he like freaking you know simple thing, he run to the ropes in a tag match and the guy like knees his back to like freaking like have him sell, but he gets knee the back and he's just like I'm dead. He had to get fucking carted out of the ring. I think
1: uh, McGee says they removed two discs. Yes, and his fourth and fifth lumbar were just shredded. Which is, if people that don't know back stuff, that's
0: pretty bad. And basically, he gets the surgery, and then, like, literally, like, two or three weeks later, since the Bulldogs have the title, they had to drop it. So, freaking freaking Dynamite gets freaking wheelchaired into the arena. Freaking Bulldog, like, carries him to... Put basically to the curtain, they walk out and then basically Jimmy Hart freaking smacks him overhead with a megaphone and basically Dynamite's just dead on the floor. We're selling and the hearts win the titles and that's how the Heart Foundation got their first WWF title run. Oh, fuck. That was
1: their first one. Yeah, it oh, might shit. be their, yeah, their first tag team title run so then now now we get to the domestic issues
0: oh yeah this is where fucking definitely like this turns from a documentary into a fucking horror movie
1: no 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 straight up like this documentary was kind of interesting at first but from now until the last like Five minutes? It's This shit's fucking scary. Well, here's the thing,
0: because, like, well, after he had to drop the titles, he was hanging out at Scott McGee. I got Scott McGee, not Tom McGee here. Okay, I was right. Scott McGee's house, where basically he had to lay on the floor, because that's the most comfortable for his back. And literally, Scott McGee and his lady, where they can hear him whimpering and, like, crying about either in pain or his career is now taking a shit, so... Freaking, yeah, no, Dynamite's doing well.
1: But now we talk about what the first, like the, well, there's only like two stories of domestic abuse, but... So Michelle is out with him one night and they're at, they're at the, let's assume it's a bar. They're going and, to a bar. And she didn't feel like drinking alcohol, so she But she ordered- also
0: understands that Dynamite might feel offended if she said she didn't want to drink. So she ordered. That's the environment for some reason. Yeah. Some dudes get really offended if you don't want yeah, to party I've heard with about, them.
1: I've heard about that. I mean, obviously, we've never been like that, but like, I've heard guys being, yeah. Hey, you want to have a drink? No, nah, I'm sorry. It's was like, Oops. fuck you, bitch! You, you offend my honor. Did you disgrace
0: my family? How dare you not want to have a drink with me? The females fuck.
1: just treat me like an accessory. This is why I'm an incel. <laughs> <laughs> what the? How are we get? I am a king. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> anyway, so yes, they're out there, and so she orders a water tonic uh, with a lemon. So then he to so ta- make it look like she's drinking something. So then. He drinks it for whatever random reason and he just goes fucking ballistic about it. He's like, What the fuck is this? The fuck is this? Not the fuck. It's fuck. Oh, yeah. What the fuck is this? The what fuck the is f- this? And what the fuck? Just the whole time giving him a hard what time. The fuck? Even on the drive home. To the he's just taking it on like a personal betrayal. Like she fucking lied to him. And like, and like it's like it's not a big deal. It's just like it's just Tadagwar is like oh, it's you a big, fucking lie
0: to me. You fucking lie to oh, me. Oh, it's a big deal. And to then him. like he's playing fucking chicken on the drive home. Like anytime there's a random car, he gets in the lane and it's like, All right, we'll see if who's Play his chicken go on fucking do it fucking do it then they go home and it's like michelle's like okay it's just a bad night i'm gonna go lay in the bed but then he just like yells at her it's like get the fuck up get the fuck up and then like he like grabs her and throws her into the freaking closet it's like you fucking stay there you fucking dog stay there you fucking oh fuck he said like shrug like it was some dog but like I
1: thought. He, yeah yeah
0: no i'm trying to know he had another word to it Whatever she like, call her. Like, I can't like, make
1: it more horrific
0: than it's already. It, yeah, is. Yeah, Michelle's just saying like, oh, I guess I'm just gonna have to sleep on the floor in the freaking. Yeah, closet. that was
1: her reaction. She she made it sound like she was more relieved that he was gonna leave her alone. She was like, All right, I'll sleep in the closet. And I was like, Whatever, just leave me alone. But then talks about like, Well, I'm also
0: pregnant with his son now, so
1: she eventually is pregnant with the son, like you said, and he's try. And when he's the son born, becomes born, he yeah. calms his shit for a minute he's trying to be patient he's he's a lot really patient with the kid he's trying to make up for it like suppose this like
0: kid like supposedly the son was kind of a fucking like yeah. um, high maintenance baby so kind of a dickhead
1: kid so, so so sadly it doesn't last and then he is this leads to him beating the holy fuck out of Jacques Rougeau now let's build that up specifically the build up to this is Vince McMahon wanted a 20 minute draw between the between the British Bulldogs and the Rougeau brothers now dynamite kids from what they said didn't seem to kind of like the Rougeau because they kind of came in with a bit of prestige already. Prestige, and-
0: but they're mostly like kind of boisterous, cocky attitudes saying like yeah. annoying. Basically, they're annoying like bo- boisterous peeps and stuff. We know like this. Yes. You know that kind of people just go like, ah, ah yeah, <laughs> and just die, my kid. Just like fucking this making shit too much plays
1: fucking noise. This shit plays out. What I'm about to tell you, people, this shit plays out like a fucking mafia movie. Like this is like Goodfellas or something. So, Mister Perfect calls over. Jacques Rougeau over, he's, he's got his back, to, he's at the very back of the wall. And I it's like a match, room. and it's like, hey, you wanna play some cards? He's like, like yeah, let's play some cards. It's and like, yeah, like,
0: I fucking love to play some fucking and
1: cards. And then, my kid just comes up behind him and just whacks! Cracks him from behind. Smacks the fucking shit he out of him. He literally stomps a mud hole. He's kicking him in the face, he's yeah. punching him.
0: Yeah, and then freaking Jock Rooster Joe says, like, dude, I like look like the fucking elephant, man. <laughs> yeah. After that beating, I was too like, I felt too scared to freaking shave and stuff. Yeah. Well, I couldn't shave because it hurt and it like I was too scared to like look at like dynamite in the eyes and stuff.
1: So but then he plans his revenge. His father literally advised him to pull what Jake Roberts was going to do to hey, Ultimate go, Warrior. They go to the bank, get a roll of quarters. And then when he gets his opportunity because I'm Dynamite jumping, comes through the curtain, he has a coffee and he goes like, "How's it going?" Oh, he Bam! He well, fucking falcon- no,
0: no, 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 no! He freaking brings up where like Diamond lifts the, might oh, yeah, to the yeah. coffee. He like gives a big grin with his like chin up, and then he fucking Falcon punches.
1: I was just about to face. say he Falcon punches this man, and he hits him with an uppercut that would have made Bret Hart proud, dude. There's blood. He says, "You know how like in the horror movies where the bloods because he's French flies everywhere and whatever." Yeah, said, it was feeling- just like that. He yeah. knocks out four teeth. Yeah, four of his teeth and, like, blood just spewing out
0: of his mouth. And then, and then Dynamite's going, like, I'm going to fucking kill you. I'm going to fucking get you back. And it's like, fucking do it then. See what happens. You
1: know, Jacques Rougeau, like, he's pretty funny throughout this whole, like, thing. But there's this one moment where he just drops all he says. And then I tell him, he says, next time, I'm going to put you in a fucking wheelchair. Oh. The irony Ooh, isn't that kind of dark, because like yeah, and then freaking Dynamite's just hella pissed, and he's just like, "I'm gonna fucking do something with him And fucking Michelle is like, you know, I don't think he deserved getting his teeth knocked out. I'm like,
0: brah. I don't know. He kind of beat the shit out of Rougeau, and maybe Rougeau, like the guy that got his back, shit Listen, was like a
1: little boisterous I don't want to. I don't want to. And maybe he was
0: getting a little bit more of a push than like he might have deserved in Dynamite's eyes, because he grew up in the snake pit, and you got to do your, you put in your dues, and get yeah. the shit kicked out of you.
1: Now, listen, I don't want to make assumptions, and I really don't want to offend anybody, but I'm being serious when I say this. Michelle, at parts of this documentary, felt like a little bit of an apologist. For the Dynamite Kid. Like, you can tell Dynamite was probably her first love, or first real love. Obviously, they married when she was 18. Yes. But... uh yeah, that's all I'm going to say about that. She really just felt like she was an apologist for the man. But wait, so we then, talking about Dino
0: Bravo. Oh, Dino and Bravo. And supposedly he has ties to like freaking uh, the underground for, world I've and heard, crime. I've heard that for years. Well, dude, you could go like watch the dark side of the ring of Dino Bravo. They like talk about it. So he's had a little bit of, pr- he's like done a little bit of crime and stuff too. And freaking he gets word that freaking the mafia, it might be after fucking Dynamite. And, like, they get, he gets, a, like, a weird letter with the picture of their house and stuff,
1: and it basically spooks Dynamite, and they go off, and the Dynamite and his family move. Okay, so now, correct me if I'm wrong, they asked Jacques Rougeau if he ever heard anything about that.
0: And, and Rougeau t- like, freaking Rougeau, actually being smart, was like, you know what, that Dino Bravo, he's kind of a fucking stooge for the fucking bulldogs and stuff, too. And, like, friggin', he could be, like, full. So he talked about, like, tell, telling Dino Bravo, I was like, hey, I know some people, if they don't hear from me and they feel like they don't hear from me in a day and I might be missing, there might be some consequences and stuff, too. So he scares fucking Dino Bravo into, telling, like, stooging to the fucking Bulldogs about, like, friggin' Jacques Rougeau might have some ma- mafia affiliation. That's what I was
1: gonna say. Did, did Jacques seem to imply that that mafia thing was his doing? Yeah, and it kind of
0: scared Dynamite off from like getting his revenge. What a fucking jo- big brain, dude! Dude, he had like f- if that's true,
1: holy shit, that's some Batman level shit. Yeah, he got big. Yeah, he big brain fucking Dynamite. He big brain Dynamite. <laughs> <laughs> it's like it's like you know what, Dynamite kid had big muscles, but Brujo had the big brain. I have big brain. <laughs> so then uh, he leaves WWF, joins Japan. Dave Meltzer does as usual. You know, he was never really happy in WWF. I never really got that. Vibe, but I feel yeah, like he's. I feel like he says that of, about it's the land of giants, and I don't think he would have been. I feel like, like he says that about everybody that leaves. If Undertaker let, uh, came out of retirement and joined AEW, I promise you he'd be on a Wrestling Observer Radio with Dave Meltzer and Meltzer would try to be like, well, you know, Mark Calloway was never actually uh, happy in WWE. Okay, <laughs> I just feel so yeah he goes back to japan and he's fucked up like there's this bit where they mention how the ligaments like aren't even on the bones of his arm i didn't know what that meant but it sounded awful. basically
0: he had to separate his shoulder because he's like hey, i have something that's buttering my arm and then they like check it out it's like yeah so all your ligaments in your shoulder is just shredded
1: there's an Golden. incident
0: so, yeah, he gets, yeah, the soldier surgery. Yeah,
1: there's an incident where he's post-surgery, and he just flips out at Michelle. She's talking to her friend, I think Sarah. Some friend of, and like, Michelle's just, in the house. He starts to, like, what was he doing? He was, like, ripping his arm out of the recovery like, literally,
0: like, no, he's in the sling and stuff, too. And, like, what, you fucking talking shit about? You mean fucking, like, you and your fucking girl's like, no, no. And he starts lifting up his arm and stuff to, like, prove that he isn't, like, friggin', like, like really injured, it's like he, he just wants to prove he's like tough and
1: macho. It's like and like yeah. Michelle's like, please stop. So his best stop days, get help. <laughs> yeah, literally stop It get some help. So then his best days are behind him, and then he asks Julie Hart and, to come hang out with him and watch some wrestling. And they're just watching his matches with Tiger Mask and stuff for hours. Yes, and over and over. That was probably one of the. That was maybe the saddest thing in the doc for me.
0: Yeah, and then basically friggin' Julie Hart's like, yeah, so that's my last memory with uh, Dynamite. Because then they talk about the year, like, New Year's of 1991. Oh, my God. Yeah. And then, like, it's like New Year's. And basically, friggin' Brolin's just chillin', raging, like, partying around. And then, like, Dynamite and his friends come in. And they talk about his, he's wearing a white sweater. And it's just all bloody. He's got a big gash in his friggin' cheek with some flesh hanging and stuff. And Brolin's she go like, he the daddy, 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 what's going on? And he's like, don't, don't even worry about baby girl daddy just got in a little tiff tiff it's all good i'm all good and then like michelle comes up like what the fuck are you doing
1: this <laughs> yeah, isn't no, fucking I, I, cool i thought he said something to the effect of like daddy just fucking fell down little girl yeah he literally just said like <laughs> yeah daddy just fell down i'll be okay <laughs> i'll be okay so they oh okay everybody full stop here's the gun This is the incident, or we're coming up to that. So now they they talk briefly about how Michelle's facing her own depression. And then one day she's like, you know what? She's pissed, but she's also really depressed. And it's like, dude, I don't like this. She's like, fuck this. I'm done. She gets dynamite kid a one-way ticket to England. And then that's what shit happens. Oh, he gets mad. He drags her across the house by her hair. He like puts her in a fucking catch hole where she dislocates her job. Michelle puts her job back in place. She pops it back in the place. Which I can't even imagine how that feels.
0: And then she's also like, oh, don't worry. Like the kids are freaking the fuck out. But the mom's just like Michelle's just trying to stay calm. Yeah. It's like, oh, daddy's just having a little moment. Don't even worry she's about it. She's also
1: pregnant at this point again, by the way. Yes. And then he goes downstairs, gets a shotgun and tells her you go 15 minutes before I blow your fucking head off. And then Michelle's like. You're bluffing. Okay, Michelle looked like the biggest badass here because the way they're painting the story, he's literally got a gun in her face and he she's calling his bluff. She's like, you're not going to do it. I'll fucking do it. No, you're not going to. She actually calls the cops. And according to her, the police dispatcher lady literally says well if he's telling you to leave then just leave and she's just kind of like looks wow mo- you fucking cops are useless <laughs> like this house I have more like
0: I have more stake in this house than this fucking guy is pointing a shotgun into my head but fuck my it God. and she's like I don't want to go to freaking Julie and Brett's place and bring my like bullshit over there and stuff I hate doing that I'm just doing it again but either way they like pack up some shit and go to freaking Ju- like Julie's place Dynamite I, leaves for England in 1991 yeah I think it's time I
1: realize what the fuck am I doing yeah he leaves for England 91 third child's born, he's pretty much absent. Uh, he has his retirement match at this point, it kind of goes pretty quickly. And then they mention, then his life just turns into Rocky Five, I guess, whatever. So, yeah,
0: Dynamite retire like he gets his, like, like, spectacular, like, I guess, ret- retirement in all Japan, if I'm guessing, in 91, and then basically. And then he is, like, he, he keeps telling Michelle that, like, I'm going to come back to Calgary. I want to see my young daughter and stuff. But he never, like, he never came back to Calgary. He stayed out in friggin' like, England. And then Dan Spivey talks about him having these, like, Freaking underground garage bare knuckle fights where they would surround cars and have that as lights, and then dudes would just wrap up their fists and just fucking brawl it out. Yeah, like Rocky Five. Yeah, I was like, "What the
1: fuck?" <laughs> it was fucking bonkers. It I'm is... like, "This this this whacked out of man." I'm telling you, every time we get to this sh- part of the of the dark side of the ring, it all just looks just like the wrestler. Sorry, uh, sorry, Mickey Rourke. Yeah, it's so horrible. But the saddest
0: thing is now they talk about his 1996 comeback match. I've Never seen From Misano Pro, I've but never... he lost all his fucking muscle. Yeah, he could barely move. Yeah, he, he can't work for hair. shit. Yeah. Like he just looked a shell of a former self. It's like, what? That's just horrible.
1: Yeah, there's like uh, the Meltzer and foliar on, and at least two other people, and they all basically say the same thing. They're just like, Yeah, this match was sad. Like it was just That's sad the footage to watch. They sh- like
0: the footage they show was just sad. I'm like, Bruh.
1: I, I I worry that that was probably the best footage. <laughs>
0: Whatever, like, and then eventually yeah. his freaking like life, where like he's now bound to a wheelchair and he can't get surgery because there's yeah, so there's much too stuff. much
1: scar tissue.
0: Yeah, and so they can't cut through it, and basically he's in a wheelchair in his forties, and he just sits in his room and fucking uh, in England.
1: So that is the rest of his life. Yeah. So now this is interesting. The death of Chris Benoit they talk about was actually the first time because Michelle keep kept it all a secret, but the death of Chris Benoit opened up uh, a lot of discussion and raised a lot of awareness to domestic abuse things that go down in the wrestling world. Um, And uh, (laughs) Michelle was the first one to open up about her. She talked about Dynamite Kid.
0: Yeah. And all the abuse that freaking like she dealt with. And obviously you get the fucking goofy ass reporter is like. Yeah, I'm trying. He did just like, and he, he like literally sound like freaking chills. See, number Wait, 15. Number 15. Yeah, freaking like Tom Billington dragged her by the hair across Wait, hold, uh, into uh, me, the living room. Oh, let me
1: see. Let me see. Let me see. Hold on. Number 15 Burger King foot. Okay, okay. I can do it. Burger King um, foot she, lettuce. Tom Billington dragged what's her name, Michelle. Yeah, Mich- dragged Michelle into the Michelle. room, through her hair, and then he went downstairs and picked up a shotgun, and then he came back up and stuck it in her face. Face, literally <laughs> that's the guy he talks. Dude, that's literally
0: what the reporter on the screen that like the freaking. So their, would like, you sound
1: like? So would you say? He, he and it's the type of reporter that asks stupid questions, like, "So would you say that?" Living with him was easy. (laughs) <laughs> shit like that that's not what he said but yeah
0: oh god we're like we're talking we're making we're making chills the voice of fucking domestic
1: abuse <laughs> interviews right now oh god. what the fuck are we doing oh god that's horrible so, so whatever, when he got like this was okay I'm not gonna I'm whatever,
0: sorry so Brow, so Bronwyn talks, so about, talks yeah, about how when
1: she had her first kid she initially felt whole but the stuff with her dad left her feeling incomplete and I'm so In- I'm so sorry. <laughs> it's like you can't start doing the Joel's voice. You can't stop. It's like when I do the Dr. Phil voice. When I, I do the Dr. Phil voice, I can't. Like, <clears throat> so, <clears throat> so Michelle, when Dynamite Kid came in the room with the shotgun, what was your first instinct? Were you wanting to protect your kids or were you trying to get out of there? Well, I called the dispatcher and... They just told me to leave. Then why didn't you just get the hell out of there? Fucking Doctor Phil. <laughs> fuck. Uh, okay, serious. This is serious uh, yeah. stuff. So back to the forgetting. At least we didn't do this during the Jake the Snake. Well, you kind of did when you did your when you did your damn baby doll stuff.
0: Baby doll. <laughs>
1: This is probably How dare worse,
0: are you, Flair? I'm calling you out, Rick. I'm, so, t- I'm taking you on a starcade, Bro- In a strap match, and you know, you're going
1: to get a beating of your life. Brolin goes on a deep personal Brolin. journey to go see Dynamite Kid in England. She actually asks the youngest daughter to go with her, but you see, like, you know, what? I have a ticket, the flights book, if you want to yeah. come. And she's like, you know what, I don't want to see it. Because what had happened was, after Michelle made the stuff about Dynamite Kid public, they, uh, like, she actually talked to her kids about. About what happened and and, and like because she like has still kept us like you know what he was a
0: gentleman he was a sweet dude and like there's just the little spigots of like domestic abuse that happened and yeah. stuff too but he was also kind of fucked up he was sad yeah. he was an extreme artist and when he took away we took away the one thing he was passionate about he went downhill hella
1: fast. So she goes to England, tries to get close to him. And, you know, she's like spends- literally like
0: she goes to England unannounced. Yeah. It's a surprise his door. And freaking just sitting there just like and he just like acts like they haven't missed the beat and stuff. It's like, hey, baby girl, why are you crying? It's just
1: like, I haven't seen you in 15 years. What are you talk about? Come good daddy a hug. Yeah. Stuff like that. And, you know, she spends some days with him. They hang out, you know, the hold hands. They cry. She cries. He cries. He apologizes and. She's uh, yeah, like that's she the first time went. I've
0: ever heard him apologize. I don't know. Once you're like beat the shit, like once like all your excitement in life, and you're when now life ve-
1: kicks your ass as much as it kicked Dynamite Kids, it it, I it think that really that- makes you reevaluate things. And
0: it's like at this point, you might as well just apologize. Yeah.
1: So then, uh, they try to ask uh, McGee about um, what he was thinking of when he heard the news that Dynamite Kid had passed, and he he actually refused, couldn't talk about because he said it hurt him too much. He he actually started to cry. Same thing with Dan Spivey because despite all the crazy shit that was going around, you know, it was that thing where it was like they're just like you know he loved his friends and the people he was close to. You're like he
0: loved his friends and he loved his family. Yeah, yeah. he might have did some crazy shit, but like. It sounds like he there some was some a-
1: other hell shit too cuz I think he had a stroke or something. Yeah,
0: oh yeah, I know. And then yeah, I had a fucking bad bad stroke and shit.
1: Mis- Michelle actually stresses that what she really wants is she's like, "Okay, if you're going to talk about the violence with him, sure, but you know what?" She's like she's like, "Talk about uh talk about the signs of depression, his hard work and all that. His fucking CTE." Yeah, Dave Meltzer talks about how, you know, the thing with Dana my kid, you know, it's just there's just no happy ending involved. It doesn't even end on like a really like big or tr- like tragic note. It's no, just he, sad.
0: Yeah, it's just sad. He's just like he was like great and revolutionary, but then all the like abuse and stuff and not taking it easy. He's McFoey, bound in a wheelchair and just dies. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. Literally. McFoley laments that, you know, uh he's mostly been forgotten. Which is like by the hands of, true. of time,
0: it's like, yeah, he's kinda like forgotten. Well, it just sounds like all this shit was like literally like late 70s. Before early I really 80s. got
1: before I really got into wrestling knowledge. Chris Jericho's first book was like one of the first times I ever heard anyone even talk about. I was like, who the hell is Dynamite Kid? Like, that's one of those names, you know, when you watch wrestling along and if you see float around. But th- this was like six, seven years ago when I read that book. So, like, you know, it's and then, you know, get more into wrestling, Internet and stuff. And you're like, oh, man, this guy is dude. This could, You see those tiger mask matches like this guy's fucking sick. And they were doing go, this in fucking like 1980. What? I was like, "What? this looks nah. like it's from last month. And I'm like, dude, I'm going to read up on this guy's Wikipedia see where I should oh oh maybe I should not I'm just gonna skip the personal life section <laughs> I'm gonna skip the personal. I'm just I'm gonna focus on section. the I'm gonna focus on the career tab
0: so yeah and then basically Mick Foley just said like the best way to sum it's like you know what trust the art and not the artist that's I, kind of I'm what slugged. dynamite kid is I
1: thought of something really cursed <clears throat> um oh Uh Uh-oh. Welcome back to another Top 15. Today, we're going to talk about the Top 15 Worst Wife Beaters in Professional Wrestling. Number 15, Randy Orton. Randy Orton is one of the... (laughs) But no. Are you about to do the whole thing? No, 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 no. I, I only thought of Randy Orton and Stone Cold. Oh. Which good friend Jake hates when I bring that up because Stone Cold's the favorite wrestler of all time. I'm like, look, man, he take John. No John one wants to talk about that. You take the goat it's like the Beatles. So they
0: even did that with the fucking A and E documentary of Stone Cold. They like like a second a they second talk, they talked about his domestic abuse I'm like
1: listen if you're gonna drag every single bad thing Hulk Hogan did out into the light and, and guys like that you've gotta do it with, with the with the ones everybody everyone, like everyone, everybody everyone gets I mean it's the same thing it's like with the Beatles you take to go with the bad I mean John Lennon was by all accounts kind of a douchebag, but you still love him he still love the music he
0: was a douchebag that would kick you in the dick while yeah. in a fist yeah, fight be, yeah.
1: <laughs> you know number 14 Randy Orton number 13 Stone Cold Steve Austin The Rattlesnake Stone Cold Okay that's all I got But Fucking
0: Good was, episode Oh no it was a really good episode This one was awesome really dark for, It was
1: really weird Because Oh well, yeah because it
0: became a fucking horror movie The
1: first 15 minutes Sad or no, interesting, but kind of, you know, a little bit With down. like great
0: highlight videos. You're like, fuck, dude, this last, guy was
1: sick. Last five minutes, really sad. But then just there's that shit in the middle 20 minutes. It's just, it's just fucking a horror movie. Yeah, it's just like,
0: which yeah, with the fucking playing trick. It's like, Jesus fucking Christ. Jesus fucking, it's just all, all levels of stress. You're just like, bruh.
1: Any interesting notes bruh. from the uh, Beyond the Ring podcast? Oh, I didn't even listen to that. I totally was not like paying oh. attention this week.
0: I've been like in the mode of not like, oh, I don't have to like, like put time into like work in it where I totally forgot, but no notes, not much that I can really say off the top. Maybe I should like report on that next week,
1: but yeah, what the fuck are we doing next week? Oh yeah. Oh, uh, well, we've got an album. We've got dark side of football.
0: Do we just want to do an album, dark side of football and call it good,
1: eh, but that won't make an hour though. Yeah, it can. Mm. Oh, no, we could totes make an hour. Well, do you want to try to watch something? like a? Do you want to try to find another one-off, shitty, fucking reality show? Kind of not. No, <laughs> I
0: made the decision on that one. I don't know. How about you decide something?
1: Oh, fuck. Okay, I guess I'll let you know.
0: Let me know. Oh, we just got to wait for a surprise.
1: No, no, I just... No, I, I can't think of anything right now. It's too, uh... Well, what do you kind of vibe do well,
0: you want to watch? It's like, do you want to watch, like... Kind of like more docu-friggin-series? Do you want to like maybe do an anime? Like it could be literally anything.
1: Let's do the fucking One Piece track. No, I'm kidding. Fuck that. Or
0: we could just do a movie. Quick album review and then into a movie. Okay. And we uh, could maybe talk about like Dark Side of Football Browns if you want to do a quick snippet of that. Okay. I don't know what movie you want to watch.
1: What's been on your desire? Well, I kinda, I kind of want to see the Demon Slayer movie, but I haven't watched Demon Slayer. No, I'm not not
0: talking about that. Just any, like, fuck. Oh, any movie. Oh, um. Thinking. Great radio. Sorry, listeners, for keeping the silence.
1: I mean, I I did see, I did see, uh.
0: Fuck it. I got the suggestion. Okay. Let's watch the fucking DMX Jet Li movie Cradle to the Grave. (laughs) You want to watch fucking what? You heard me. Cradle to the Grave you with know, DMX
1: fun- and Jet Li. It's uh, it's funny. You said that. I was actually almost about to say the, 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 the independent horror movie starring Danny Filth from Cradle of Filth. Uh,
0: DMX or Danny Filth. Well, actually, my vote's DMX. Okay. Okay. We'll have to do that Danny Filth one sometime because I've actually always wanted to see that. Whatever. Let's just establish. We're gonna watch Cradle to the Grave next week. Oh my god. I will watch Dark Side
1: of Football and anyway. you'll listen to the album. And you'll listen to my you'll listen to the album. No, you, I'm asking, are you gonna listen to the album? Oh, I'll be fucking listed because I'm gonna be fucking mixing it. No, are we talking about the album or are you roasting my band? Oh, that's right. We were roasting the band first. That's yeah, you're meant. gonna roast my yeah, band. Yeah, you're gonna finish that. Well, I don't know if we
0: can fucking wrap up and then I got to practice and stuff and I got to see if I'm like going to be tired. Yeah. It all depends. There's all many factors on that. But you know what? I say this is time to wrap it up. This was the Doctor That Danger Radio show with your boys, James and Edward. Have a
1: good one. Adios.